Good morning. The scripture reading is from John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Larissa and Connor. Um, good morning. Whoops, I'm losing my stuff. All right. My name is Paul Major. I'm a pastoral assistant here at Christ Central, uh, director of college ministries, a couple other things, um, the janitor. Uh, anyway, um, it's my pleasure to be with you here this morning. And I f- want to first start just by uh, wishing the mothers here a happy Mother's Day, uh, but also, um, so happy Mother's Day. Uh, but, but also I want to qualify that and just say that, that Mother's Day uh, can be a hard holiday um, if you even want to call it a holiday, uh, it, it can be a hard day for uh, some people. Uh, either they've lost mothers or they don't like mothers or they aren't mothers. Um, so I actually want to just sort of plant the seed that as we think about mothers, which is not what I'm preaching on, um, if you can see the title, uh, that we think about mothers not just as biological, uh, but we think about mothers as spiritual. And so there are plenty of women that I know, plenty of women who have worked in my wife's life uh, that are not her biological mother, who's also a strong spiritual mother, but um, who, who have spoken the gospel into her life in so many ways and that uh, they should also be celebrated today. So I, I just want to go ahead and say that I would be remiss if I didn't say Happy Mother's Day. Um, but since it is the, a high preaching holiday where pastors abandon their pulpits and leave people like me to preach. Um, <laughs> I'll also be back on Father's Day. No, no seriously. I'll, uh, so come back. Um, and probably some other uh, Hallmark card holidays as well. So um, Grandparents Day, I'll be right here. So anyway, uh, again, my name's Paul Major, pastoral assistant here at Christ Central. And we started a series last week called Explicit Lyrics. And so we continue in that sermon series. And the goal of this series, Explicit Lyrics, is to explore some basic Christian beliefs that an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. But more than that, these beliefs are among those that are post-modern, post-Christian, post-God world finds Offensive, intolerant, ignorant, backwards, explicit. And this word explicit is important because explicit doesn't mean what the world seems to think it means. Explicit doesn't mean offensive, profane, violent, or sexual. Explicit means unashamed, uncensored, unhindered, clear, raw, and real. Those explicit content warnings on music shouldn't just be placed on rap and heavy metal. They should actually be placed on every praise and worship CD, every gospel track, every song that is unapologetically Christian, because this is one of the few places where people are unashamed to speak the truth. Explicit means wide open, 
So in the sermon series, we aren't skirting around the issues, beating around the bush, but we're going to speak the truth of the Bible explicitly. What we hope to accomplish with explicit lyrics is not to offend the world for the sake of offending, to be offensive for the sake of being offensive. What we hope to accomplish is that believer and unbeliever alike, the skeptic and the convinced, can hear, maybe for the first time, what the Bible has to say for itself. And today I start at the beginning. Creation. And while this text that Loressa just read for us may not be the most obvious choice, John 1 is among the most important parts of the Bible that speak to what the Christian believes about creation. I'll be looking at two types of creation uh, that the Bible speaks of. Though very different in outward appearance, they both speak to the way in which God has created and God continues to create. First, God created everything. Everything. Ex nihilo, which is Latin for from nothing, out of nothing. Second, God creates belief. He calls Christians new creations. Ex nihilo. But before we get to that, we need to first consider what is generally believed about creation. The word creation deals with the beginnings of things, when and how all that exists was first made. The modern scientific community believes that everything that exists can find its source in a massive explosion called the Big Bang that is said to have occurred 3.8 billion years ago. And while this in and of itself does not necessarily run counter to what the Bible, what the biblical portrayal of creation says. It does beg the question, what was the cause of the Big Bang? According to evolutionary scientists, most famously Albert Einstein, the Big Bang was the result of the breaking apart of something called a singularity. All the stuff of the universe as it exists today was crammed into one single point. And naturally, the tension got so great, and bang, all that matter went flying off in every direction. What caused the Big Bang? All of this matter finally breaking free from the singularity. According to this, even before the Big Bang... Matter existed. There was never a time when matter didn't exist. To put it another day, another way, there was always something. There was never nothing. And on the surface, the Bible actually agrees with this statement. Indeed, there never was nothing. God is eternal. He he always has been. However, the disconnect comes when we look at what each view says has always existed. The Bible says that God, the Trinity, in communion with himself has always existed. There was never a time when the triune God was not. But evolution, broadly, says that matter, the stuff of the universe, the basic makeup of all the elements, the atoms, 
the planets, you and me, has always existed. Though it certainly looked different before the Big Bang, there was never a time when matter was not. I need to be clear. I'm not making this an, an us and them argument. It's not a creationist versus evolutionist debate. It's actually conceivable, though not always warmly welcomed in Christian circles, to believe in a Big Bang that occurred 13.8 billion years ago and to believe in the God of the Bible as the creator of that Big Bang. That's not my particular view, but it's only fair to allow that to be understood in this discussion. If someone feels that the Big Bang Theory is true and evident, they are not necessarily a practical atheist. To put it another way, you don't have to believe in a literal six-day creation in order to be a Christian. However, the important question is what do we do with all that matter? That pre-existent, eternal, always always been there stuff that the Big Bang Theory is based upon. For this, we turn to our text. John 1, often called the prologue to John, because like the opening crawl in Star Wars, it gives us the background. In this case, the eternal background for the rest of the story. It starts at the only place that makes sense for a story of eternal proportions. The beginning. The capital B beginning. Back before the beginning. John's gospel is unique in this sense. Because unlike the other three gospels, John takes us to a time outside of time. Mark starts his gospel with Jesus as a grown man. Matthew and Luke uh, tell various accounts of just before Jesus' birth. But John starts at the beginning of time. But this isn't, entire, this isn't an entirely novel concept. John is using language and a story that would be familiar to his original audience. John samples the beats and rhythms of Moses going all the way back to Genesis. Just like Snoop Doggy Dogg's What's My Name samples George Clinton's Atomic Dog, keeping the funk but changing the words, John is spinning Moses' leadoff track in the beginning God and making it something new. And so in this prologue, we're given a lyrical commentary connecting the word become flesh and the eternal God of creation. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. There's no question for John, at least, that this word, this word become flesh who dwelt among us. Who came to his own and his own did not receive him was none other than the self-same God who spoke all things into creation in Genesis 1. There never was a time when God was not and never was a time when the word was not. He always was. Always has been. This eternal word is none other than God and at the same time None other than Jesus Christ. But John doesn't stop here. He continues his inspired spit and freestyle by connecting this word with the God of creation and the words of God at creation. 
Genesis 1-3 reads rather simply, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the refrain of, and God said, and it was so, is repeated all throughout that first chapter of Genesis. But John takes it and collapses it into one confusing line. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The English of this verse is confusing because the Greek of this verse is confusing. Literally, everything through him was made, and without him was not made the things that were made. I don't have time to diagram this sentence for you, but so though it appears that John fumbles over his words and is forced to use a double negative, one thing is actually clear. Nothing that exists exists outside of the word. If it exists, the word made it. So when we come to this concept of the Big Bang, we need to be careful that if we buy it at all, we don't buy it lock, stock, and barrel. God is eternal, not matter, not stuff. God didn't just come along one day and find this pre-existent matter like sand on the beach and say, let's make a sandcastle. God made the sand. He made the beach. He made the metaphorical ocean and wind that brought the metaphorical sand from wherever it metaphorically originally came from. He made whatever metaphorical rocks and shells the metaphorical sand used to be. Matter cannot be eternal. Something had to make it. Matter doesn't just come into existence, be it through a bang or a poof or a fizzle or a snap, crackle, pop. Something or someone had to have created it. All things were made through him, the eternal word. And without him, nothing would exist. If you like you can say that when God spoke light into existence, he did so through something like the Big Bang. However, John, uh, sorry, Genesis 1-3 leaves a lot to be desired in this view. And John 1 says almost nothing of the kind. God doesn't need explosions in theatrics. All he needs is his voice, his word. He simply says... Let there be light. And without any commentary or stage direction, light exists. Sure, God could have spoken in this booming earthquake and volcanic eruption, Gandalf from the Lord of the Rings voice, let there be light. But it's just as conceivable that God could have used the cool collected, still small voice he uses with Elijah on Mount Sinai. Like Babe Ruth pointing to the centerfield bleachers, God certainly didn't need pyrotechnics and drama to bring about creation. God isn't insecure. He's confident. 
And a confident God doesn't need to yell and wave his arms when he can simply say, this is what's going to happen. So, if you absolutely can't let go of a 13.8 billion year old explosion, know that whatever means God used to create the heavens and the earth and everything in between was right. God doesn't need the Big Bang. But the Big Bang needs God. But this whole Big Bang theory doesn't come a la carte. It's a combo meal that includes some kind of side of evolution. But evolution's like a potato. It can be served all kinds of ways. It can be guided by God, but with no hands-on involvement. It can be guided by God with his involvement at every phase. Or it can have nothing to do with God because God might not exist. But in any event, every form of evolution believes that life began and developed in a way that is remarkably different than what the Bible says. Sometime around 3.6 billion years ago, more than 10 billion years after the Big Bang, life began as simple microscopic cells. These organisms, sorry, these cells evolved into more complex single cells, uh, which then evolved into multi-celled organisms about a billion years ago. Since then, these microscopic organisms, we're told, have evolved through many phases before we finally have the first humans. Now, this is an extremely simplified version of evolution, but it tells me something. In order for humans to have evolved, there had to be a billion years of chance diversification that seems to have been almost accidental. But those who argue for evolution always point to the evidence. And I don't want to present evolutionists in a bad light. They have plenty of evidence. But at least to me, none of this evidence is entirely convincing. We don't have a time-lapse video of cells becoming fish and fish becoming frogs and so forth. And so in order to believe in this evidence, one needs to have faith that this evidence is accurate. That's the critical issue. Faith in science and faith in evidence is still faith. Christians cannot prove that Jesus truly rose again, though we have plenty of evidence, this being exhibit A. We take it on faith. And so evolutionists cannot prove their view beyond the shadow of a doubt, but have to take it on faith. That's the big issue in the faith versus reason debate that goes all the way back to Plato and Aristotle. We cannot see God, so therefore we can't prove that he exists. But we can see fossils, 
So it's only rational to believe that they point to some form of evolution. But even here, it's not our ability to reason that convinces us. It's our faith in our ability to reason that convinces us. Every time I fight with my wife, I have plenty of rational, logical reasons why I'm right and she's wrong. I can put into words a watertight logical argument that, at least to me, gives me permission to be a jerk. I have faith in my reasoning abilities, faith in my perception that I'm always right, faith in my cockiness that says, if you disagree with me, you're an idiot because I see things clearly. Only because of sin, I don't see things clearly. I can't see things clearly. To argue from reason or evidence or or arrogance is to argue from faith in something that can never save you. But to argue from the God, but to argue from what God has said is to argue from faith in the one true, holy, and eternal word who gives life everlasting. John 1 4 says, in him that eternal creative word was life and life was the light of men this verse is a turning point for us because the verse uses the word life in a way that makes it loaded with meaning one little word three letters in greek comes to mean both life in the sense of all living things and life in the sense of salvation This verse isn't necessarily interested in the question uh, of was there a historical Adam and Eve? But what is the source of life? Life. All life. Comes from the creative power of the eternal word who is in the beginning with God. But this verse is also interested in the question, what is life really? Is life just eating and sleeping and making babies, or is there something more? Why were we created? What is the point of life? Am I just an accident of evolution, or was I designed with dignity and purpose? John assumes Genesis 1 and 2 in this verse. God created man in his image Not the result of some arbitrary survival of the fittest process whereby Adam and Eve were just two evolved ape-like creatures who left their pack and started a new life. God's creative design had purpose. Let us create man in our image to subdue him, sorry, to subdue and have dominion, to be fruitful and multiply. Humans were created to walk with God and know him intimately. But John assumes Genesis 3 in this verse as well. Adam and Eve were tempted and sinned and became distant from God. They willingly divorced God, their creator. Legally emancipated themselves from the relationship they were created for. They committed spiritual suicide and reaped their just desserts, received their hard-earned wages. Death. And we're no different. We're no better than they were. They saw God face to face and sinned. We don't. 
and try to claim that he doesn't exist. It would take this eternal word, God in the flesh, dwelling among us to restore our right relationship with him. He too had to die in order to give us life again. The word was in the beginning with God and in him was life. Consider, if you will, the story of of the resurrection of Lazarus. Uh, John 11 tells us that a friend of Jesus's had died, a man named Lazarus. And after a couple days, Jesus shows up, excuse me, Jesus shows up to the grave, is harassed by the dearly departed sisters, and then he gets to work. He stands before the tomb and speaks Lazarus back to life. John eleven forty three 43 tells us that Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, this is a strange thing, yelling at a dead body. But I think it tells us a lot because Jesus doesn't run into the tomb and shake Lazarus and pray over him and start giving him mouth to mouth. He doesn't have Lazarus' body brought out to him. Instead, he speaks into the darkness of the tomb, the darkness of death, and commands the dead man to stop being dead and come out. Jesus speaks life into existence. In comparison to the creation of the universe, ex nihilo, out of nothing, what does this story show us? Well, there's no indication that Lazarus said at some point before, hey Jesus, in case I ever die, bring me back to life. The text is also clear that Lazarus was surely dead. Not in a coma, not sleeping, but dead. His sisters even worried that the stench of the body would be too strong after so many days. So it's clear that Lazarus isn't sitting awake, alert, alive at the foot of the tomb. But that his corpse was rotting in that dark, dead place. So Lazarus had very little to offer Jesus in the way of life. Yet immediately, it seems, after Jesus called Lazarus to come forth, first uh, John eleven forty four announces, the man who died came out. Jesus brought Lazarus back to life ex nihilo. And now I know what some of you might be thinking. Or maybe it's just me. How's bringing a dead body back to life ex nihilo? He didn't speak a new human being into existence. He just brought a previously live human being back to life. He created life out of pre-existent matter. And that's a valid argument. However, we need to keep in mind a few things. First, he did this in the way he did this for a purpose. 
He was breaking apart the common belief that resurrection only had to do with the end of time. Resurrection, for Jesus, wasn't just something that might happen someday. But it was an example of the kingdom that was to come and is already here. When Jesus performed miracles, he essentially poked holes in the blackout shades that separate the realities of heaven from the realities of a fallen creation. And though these, through these holes, we see glimpses of what is one day to be crystal clear. The resurrection is not, a, is not only an historical event that I have no reason to doubt, but it's also an example of what spiritual resurrection through faith in Christ represents. The dead will be restored to life and death will be no more. Secondly, and more practically, Lazarus' sisters don't want Jesus to make them a new little brother. They wanted Lazarus back. Because Lazarus wasn't like a puppy who could be missed and could easily be replaced by another puppy. And thirdly, And even more practically, we can't just go and pick up a corpse at our local morgue and bring him back to life. This isn't Weekend at Bernie's. This isn't Frankenstein. This isn't The Walking Dead. But a dead man in this story is suddenly not so dead anymore. This miraculous event is certainly consistent with creation ex nihilo. Lazarus had nothing to offer. He didn't join in and help Jesus out. He didn't make some bold decision to not be dead anymore. Jesus spoke and the word created life. We too are like Lazarus. Spiritually dead in our sins, Lazarus speaks, sorry, spiritually dead in our sins, Jesus speaks life into existence. He calls us his own. He names us sons and daughters of the living God, co-heirs with him in the inheritance of eternal life. If we believe in what Christ has done through his death and resurrection, we have been given new life, are made new creations. And yet we offer nothing in the process. In the eyes of God, There are no such things as good people. No one in and of themselves is good like God is good. No one is righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, there is still goodness in the world. But it's not from us. That is the grace of God. God created the world and it was good. He even said that it was very good because it was a reflection of his own goodness. And even though sin and death entered the world, that goodness, that godness of creation was still present. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Even though at times it seems that the darkness of sin and death has completely snuffed out that light, like an ember, it continues to glow. And the Spirit moves as He wishes and blows 
as a mighty wind, and that he blows that ember back into flames, conquering the darkness that was never truly able to conquer the light. No matter where we look, no matter how dark, how lifeless, how godless it may seem, the light is still there. We can look at philosophy and politics and the self-help, new age mysticism and still see glimpses of that light. Because no matter how hard man may try, he can never snuff out the eternal flame of an eternal God. And so I return to the question of evolution in the Big Bang. If matter has always existed, then the light of God is not in that. If mankind is an accident of evolution, then religion is truly an opiate of the masses, dulling our senses from the bitter reality that life has no meaning. But if God is real... If God is who the Bible says he is, if God created everything the way the Bible says he did, then our faith should reflect this. We should not resort to faith in evidence or reason or the goodness of mankind, but to a living faith in a living God who sent a living son to a dying people to give them eternal life. And as I've I've said before, It's conceivable to believe in both the Big Bang and God, both evolution and a creator. But for me, that's like going to McDonald's and ordering a Big Mac and then asking for a side of quinoa or kale because, you know, you want to eat healthy. It's an unlikely pair. It's an inconsistent mixture. To doll up an atheistic view of the world with God language doesn't change the fact that the God language is secondary. But so what? Who cares? What does this all mean? Is this just an excuse for Christians to be arrogant? Is this just a sense of entitlement for us to continue drawing dividing lines between us and them? No, it's not. In fact, it's quite the opposite. For Christians, the belief in a God who is the creator of everything, the belief that humans were created designed even for a purpose. The belief that the eternal word who spoke light into existence also speaks to us and even became one of us to save us should be a source of utmost comfort. Anxiety, fear, illness, addiction, depression, all things bad and sad and wrong can be affected by this knowledge. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are not unloved. Your life is valuable. You are valuable. You were created in the image of God who created all things, beautiful things, wonderful things, amazing and breathtaking things. Things he called good. And you, human, are the greatest of all these creations. 
Not only created in his image, but loved so deeply that the word became sin and suffered death so that we could be restored to his image. If God is eternal, then he's outside of time. He created time. And that means that nothing that occurs within time is outside of his purview. Death and loss, suffering and anguish, fear and faithless, faithlessness are all within his sight and within his grip. Whether you've lost your job or lost your family or lost your faith or lost your will to live or lost your keys, the eternal God of creation is aware of these things. He's in these things. He uses these things. If your car breaks down and you can't afford to fix it, if someone close to you dies and you never got a chance to say goodbye, if you've come to the end of yourself and can't bear to live anymore, if you're reeling from the consequences of your mistakes or someone else's, there's comfort. There's purpose. There's meaning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through Him were all things made. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This word, this light, took on flesh and lived among us, shined brightly in the darkness. This God became man, not an accident of evolution, but his very image, and died. This source of life conquered death, overcame darkness which could not overcome him, and rose again. And this Jesus ascended into heaven where he watches over us and sees to our every need. And he'll one day come again to make all that is sad come untrue and banish darkness forever. And there will be no need for a son for his glory will be a light to his people. Human. You were created special for a purpose. You are loved beyond words. You need a Savior and have one in Jesus. Our God is powerful enough to create worlds with words. He is powerful enough to hold universes in his hands and yet know the numbers of hairs on your head and the number of cells in your body. He's powerful enough to defeat death and bring eternal life. Our God is an awesome God. If you believe that, if you believe that he can save you, he will. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, your word that is not just 
your eternal word who created all things, who created life and new life and comes and brings us to life. But I thank you also for your word that is scripture. That is our only true source of knowledge of who you are and who we are. I thank you for your saving grace to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.